All right, we're going to dive into where we left off last week uh, with relationships or relation slips, and uh, we're, we're more specifically talking about how to navigate our emotions in a healthy way. All right, so the tagline for the series of messages, I think this is number three of three, is I'm in my feelings. How many of you realize that the more emotional you are, the less rational you become? Right? Uh, because typically emotions don't have a brain. Uh, and so what we're helping uh, to examine and uncover, uh, actually unpack, is how to manage our emotions in a healthy way uh, because our emotions have the propensity, have the capacity to adversely impact the quality of our relationships. Okay? So we want to we we tap into uh, uh, the eighth tool the eighth tool that we've added to our toolbox, which is self-awareness. Uh, and again, last week we mentioned this, that Abraham Maslow, who was credited as being the father of modern psychology, said what is necessary to change a person is to change their awareness of themselves. A person does not change until they come into an awareness of themselves. And there is no place where that awareness happens more powerfully than in the context of interpersonal relationships because, again, we all have blind spots. There are things about me that I cannot see, but Wendy can, all right, because no one individual has a 360-degree panoramic, panoramic view of oneself. Nobody. I don't care who you are. You do not have a 360-degree view of yourself. It requires people who love you who can speak life into you. And so we're talking about self-awareness and we've been examining the life of Jonah. There are four kinds of people in the world, right? Uh, uh, there are, first of all, the consciously competent. These are people, unconsciously competent, these are people who don't know that they know. You ever met somebody like that? Uh, somebody who was really good at something but they just didn't realize how good they were? Those are the people who get the job done and they're often underpaid really good at what they do. They're competent, but they're unconsciously competent. They kind of stumble into greatness. And then there are people who are uh, 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 consciously incompetent. They know they don't know. These are people, and that's the best place to be because people who are consciously incompetent are people who are self-aware. They know they don't know, so they often ask for help. Man, there's also the consciously competent, and these are people who know that they know. And kind of be a little bit braggadocious. Like Terrell Owen said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. <laughs> How many of you live with somebody who is consciously competent? They know that they know. And here's the final one, number four, the fourth of the quadrants is, uh, this is so good. The unconsciously incompetent. These are people who just don't know that they don't know. <laughs> and every time you see them, you want to say, bless your heart. <laughs> anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> Self-awareness is a big, big deal. And the problem, the challenge with Jonah was that he was not very self-aware. He was quick to point out what was wrong in everyone else. But it wasn't very often that Jonah took the time to look inward. And so that's what we want to do today. And we've landed on these four uh, 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 habit forces, these four attitudes, these four emotions uh, that Dr. John Gottman says 
are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, four relationships. And I just wanted to bring you guys in so that we could speak uh, more art, uh, in a more articulate way uh, to those four horsemen. All right. So the first one is criticism. Okay. First one is criticism. Uh, I want us to talk a little bit about you know what that looks like. You might even want to speak from personal experience or people that you've worked with and how devastating criticism can be in any interpersonal relationship, not just marriage, but even with a coworker, uh, uh, with a family member. How uh, powerful and and devastating criticism can be. So here's how we've defined criticism. Criticism is attacking your partner's personality or character usually with the intent of making someone right and someone wrong. Let's talk about criticism quickly. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind is that it's the exact opposite of what Jesus modeled. Mm. He said we have to lower ourselves to serve our fellow man. Mm. But like Ray said, in the heat of the moment... You're trying to literally lord it over the other person, so you're actually trying to go the opposite. Instead of lowering yourself, you're trying to up them one and look and talk down. Mm. And when you do that, nobody wins. Good. Even though you think, I won the argument. No, you didn't. You lost. But you may have, you know, had an aha moment that made you feel better, but you didn't win. You Mm. lost. And unfortunately, in criticism, you're actually dis- destroying very destructively sometimes the uh, heart of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they could just really reel from that. You want to add anything to <clears throat> Yeah, I, I just want to say, um, first of all, when, when we first married, I, I wasn't good at... Um, I wasn't good at relationships and and how to get, you know, things across. Uh, I, uh, criticism was one of my key uh, things I pulled out of my bag first, mm-hmm. and I operated a lot on emotions. And um, so I was very grateful back then uh, that God put a person in my life that loved me enough. Even though she was my best friend, she was also a life coach. She also actually attends church here, and that's how we've even made all this connection through her, through her mom and dad. But she, uh, who is Dana Hartman and Sherry and Art, um, she really had to uh, separate friendship and teach me um, how to communicate, how, you know, without criticizing, without, you know, pulling out both barrels, uh, because it does, it does tear away at the heart, and eventually it tears away at relationships, and it tears away then at marriages, so um, I'm very grateful that I had to learn, I had to learn that the hard way, but, but very grateful that she was put in my life to help me, um, you know, in relationships. Anything you want to add to that, baby, around criticism? And how devastating it can be to a to a person, to a family, to a couple. Yes, well, I think you know we can all understand how devastating it can be, and I think maybe sometimes we don't know how to approach getting something across. And so I know Lisa uh, Turkers wrote one time that usually we'll get an A for effort, mm. but it's just the approach. 
the effort we, we really get down pat, but how we approach a situation. So if you have someone in your life and you're like, you know, in your mind, you're thinking you always, they always do this. They never do this. You don't want to say those words because that is like, you know, splashing water in somebody's face. Usually people are not like, oh, let me get splashed. Usually they're, you know, trying to knock things out of the way. And so your approach, we talked about this last week, could be with a question. And if someone, um, say if they just always yell, instead of saying, you got a big mouth, you always yelling and acting so crazy all Mm. the time, Mm. then you can maybe approach them and say, hey, can we talk about this when when we don't have to yell? Mm. And sometimes that is the splash in their face. Sometimes people are just really not aware, especially there's so many factors. There's history. There is just environment. Some people don't know just because they've just lived that way. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just, well, I'm getting older, so I'm getting quieter. But just naturally, (laughs) I just have always been like an Odie in a Garfield world, just very excitable and very loud. So in the heat of a conversation, I could be happy about something and I'm just loud. But in the heat of a conversation, I'm at 2,000. Well, that where I come from, that's okay. Where Ray comes from, mm-mm, you could just sit it down, sister. He just, and so I was not aware of my come across, and I wasn't aware of how offensive and just ugly I was being because, first of all, I didn't have that many people in my life that I don't have conflicts with my girlfriends and things like that, so we weren't fussing at each other. I hadn't had that many relationships my first husband we were only married 10 months so and I didn't meet Ray until seven years later so I didn't really have anybody close enough to me to just say hey you need to simmer down and so we learned we didn't start off knowing how to engage with one another but now I know because of his patience he just told me one day you know what if you want to talk you're gonna have to bring the volume down and I was like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, yelling. And I'm like, ain't nobody even yelling. And when I said that, I could feel the veins in my neck. And Come then on. I was embarrassed. Yeah. But he, I mean, and it was, we, we had to navigate. So just as far as criticism, sometimes you don't know that you're being critical of a person. Ray, there are seven children. Five of them are boys, and yeah. the sisters are older. So he was used to being with his brother. So sometimes he would ask me questions because he would just, his brothers, that's how they interacted. And I would be like, you're going to have to come at me a little different. Don't be asking me all them kind of questions. He would, his favorite one was like, are you going to wear that? I was like, are you going to go to the mall and buy something different? But I don't recommend that. I don't recommend it. It's not very. You got a lot of claps from the ladies. Yeah. There. <laughs> they did. That is not a way. And so what I could have done, because I felt he was being critical, I immediately took a defensive posture. Right. What I could have simply done is ask a question. What does that mean? Because he could have been saying, oh, don't dress up that much. You could just be comfortable. That could have been what, or he could say, hey, I'm taking you someplace special. He is the king of surprises. So yesterday morning, one surprise didn't work. So he's like, hey, you got 20 minutes to get dressed. 
well, this could do be done in 20 minutes, but I've got pigment loss in my face. I need my concealer to set for 20 minutes. And I was like about to cry because I was getting so anxious, like, this is not fair. But I, I, I know what to do. So instead of being critical and saying, you always wait to the last minute, I can't do it. just, do I need to dress up or should I be casual? So now, when she said that, you always wait till the last minute. That was just an example. That, no. no, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, that was just an example because sometimes something can can send us off. So my hair is shorter than it's. I'm used to wearing it, but there's an end in mind, and I'm heavier than I'm used to being. So women, you can understand when he's saying, "Hey, let's have a surprise." I'm immediately wanting to cry because my hair is not as long as I wanted and I got to cover up this spot and I'm all fluffy around my edges and I didn't send no jeans to the cleaners. I'm immediately going under. Like, re- I really was fighting back tears, really yesterday, because I'm feeling all insecure in my own skin. But because I practice what we preach, I just said, hey, does this look okay? And I'm bringing myself down. So when you have a situation, because I could have, in my insecurity, say, you always wait to the last minute. It was his birthday and our anniversary. I was not going to change the atmosphere. It wasn't going to be on me. (laughs) I was like, I'm already married 17 years. He picked me. These kids love me. I got city church. I mean, I'm talking to myself as I'm putting on the concealer in the car. I'm really talking about that. I've got girlfriends that love me. It's okay. You don't even know these people you're about to see. And we had a good time. So when you have a situation where you feel, your feelings lie, you always, you never start with a question. No, very good. Very good. Fantastic. So so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, Here's a rule of thumb. If you struggle with being critical of others, here, here's a rule of thumb. Y'all, y'all ready for it? You do not make your light shine brighter by blowing out somebody else's candle. Ultimately, that's what we do with criticism. We're actually saying my way is better. I'm smarter. What you're doing is no good. And sometimes people who are critical derive their sense of self-worth and value by devaluing others. As long as I can make myself feel that I'm better than you, I'm good. And baby, we see, I don't want to interrupt you, excuse me, but we see this a lot with parents. Parents be very careful of this because you are in authority over your children and the sun does rise and set on what you say in their lives. But your children are only going to be children for so long. Those are little human beings. They're little adults. So if there's something that you don't understand, I come from a generation where you do what I say. If I tell you to jump, you better be in midair before you ask how high. That's what I come from. That is my natural default. And so my mom, she even laughed. She said, you let them kids talk so much because I have trained (laughs) Nia and Levi because I'm aware of my own defensiveness. I'm aware of my own wanting to be the boss of them. I'm very aware that we're pastors and I don't want them to be pastors' kids. And so I can just be really wound tight. So if there's a situation we have trained them early that they can ask, can we talk about it? Is this negotiable? So parents be very aware of uh, there's a situation. Nia is a teenager, so we're dealing with acne. I actually was talking with my sister, and I was like, you know, Nia is so pretty. 
even with her skin the way it is, I'm thinking I'm building her up. That crushed her so much. She waited weeks and weeks, and she went and talked to Ray about it. And he came to me and said, hey, when you said this, I actually thought I was building her up. But what she heard is she's got really horrible skin. But if you look past that, she's still a little cute in there somewhere. Right. Right. And it was I was in tears. It was. And so we can be critical of our kids unknowingly, even if they get in trouble at school, you can just say, you know, I'm tired of you doing this and just really just wear them out. Usually I could wear my children out because I might be embarrassed by their behavior. That is not parenting. That has to do with the insecurity within me. So parents just be very aware if they are in in trouble at school or if the grades aren't what they need to be, what your expectation is, you can sit down and talk with them. If you're from my generation, it doesn't mean that the kids are running you. It means that you are teaching them how to resolve conflict. Your kids, just because you sit down and have a conversation, hey, tell me about what's going on with this class or why haven't you been doing what I asked you to do? And let them talk. Now, you can put some ram- you can put some boundaries about how they talk to you. My kids ain't going to be in my face saying, oh, I hate you. I gotta, They can talk to somebody else. They can call Auntie Lolita or my mom and do all that. They're not going to do that in my face. <laughs> but we can have a conversation. Hey, what's going on? What is your thought process? So sometimes we can, right. in the name of parenting, be very harsh and critical on our kids, given your history. It's huge. It's huge. So, so we have a couple of remedies from Scripture. All right. One of them being Colossians. Uh, chapter number three, Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians four and verse six. Notice what it says. It says, let your speech always be with grace. Whatever comes out of my mouth, make sure now that you discipline yourself and condition yourself that your words are always with grace. Number two, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's the antidote for criticism, that my words will always be seasoned with grace. There's another great passage in Proverbs, and the reference escapes me right now, but this is what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said. This, This is what Solomon said. He says, the fool vents all his feelings. Let's stop the, let's pump the brakes right there. For those of us who say, well, I just speak my mind. I'll just tell it like it is. This ain't Pastor Ray. This is the scripture. It says the fool does that. That when I'm given to venting all my feelings without any filters, it says that's what fools do. And then it goes on to the next movement of that verse and it says, but the wise man studies how to answer. Studies is just an old King James word for considers. So if I'm someone who is given to these outbursts and I just say whatever I'm feeling and however I think the scripture says you're unwise, the wise thing to do is to consider how to respond. And when I choose to respond, even in situations and circumstances that are uncomfortable, even when I'm being mistreated, Colossians 3 and 6, let your speech always be with grace. Remember, we talked about that last week, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. 
it de-escalates the situation immediately. Let's talk about number two. Because this is a big one. And for the most part, I think people can manage their words. They're not always critical of one another. And again, we could, get, we could really get into this. And I wanted to talk more about it, but I can't find my phone anywhere. I can't find my notes. Uh, but there's some specific examples I wanted to get into. But let's talk about contempt, okay? Uh, Dr. John Gottman uh, defines contempt as attacking your partner's sense of self with the intention to insult or psychologically abuse him or her. It's a lot like criticism, right? Yeah. Uh, but contempt goes a little bit further. Contempt also has to do with unresolved conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we begin to harbor resentment, unforgiveness, and bitterness. And, and, and I would venture to say that there are a lot of people in relationship who live on low simmer. They might even be sleeping in the same bed. In fact, there could be things that happened a year, two, three, four, five years ago. Still unresolved. And they live on low simmer. And I'm talking about married folk now who still hold each other in contempt. And they harbor resentment and unforgiveness because they never truly addressed the issue. Let's, my wife and I call that actually sometimes the ex-boyfriend syndrome. You make the new boyfriend pay for what the last guy did. Because you never resolved that thing back there. You just kind of moved on. And now every guy you meet is going to pay for what that last joker did. Now most guys ain't going to hang around for that. In fact, that's the John chapter 4 syndrome, the woman at the well. Married five times. You have to say that at least she was good to look at if five guys wanted to be with us. Now she's living with the sixth guy. There's something about the pattern and the choices because it's possible to squeeze somebody expecting Jesus to come out. And all you get is more of their flesh. And that's where most people live. When you live with, uh, with resentment and you live in contempt, you squeeze people looking for resolution for something you haven't resolved internally. So, Craig, Gina, speak to that for us for a second about contempt. Yeah, okay. Okay, once again, um, boy, where do I start on this one? Um, when, when I married Craig... Uh, I brought some baggage into our marriage, and I thought it was resolved. It was nowhere near being resolved, and the biggest one was uh, being raised and um, being molested um, by somebody that was supposed to be protecting me, and the second one was being abandoned in my first marriage um, with four small children, Mm. so thinking that I had gotten over those things, thinking because I said the words, I forgive, um, that, 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 uh, that dealt with everything below. So we're rocking along and married and blending these seven kids. And uh, I'm not realizing until it's pointed out to me by my, by my really good friend <laughs> that when, when we have conflict, I 
I tend to take out a lot of that on him. So um, it wasn't resolved. So I attack him. I attack his personality. So uh, that was definitely a way that I would say it was showing up in our marriage. And then on top of that, uh, I started a slow path down a path of numbing out. And what that means, if I can be transparent with y'all, that means, uh, okay, um, while I'm cooking dinner, I'm going to have a glass of wine. Um, Nothing wrong with that. That's between me and God. That's between you and God. Um, But you see, Satan's very patient. Mm. Very patient. And uh, then we're we're rocking along, and the kids are, are growing into teenagers. So then we have, like, six teenagers at one time Mm. and different things going on there. It's a lot of plates spinning. You know, uh, we have a business. Uh, I I help in our business. I speak in our business. Um, I've got walls up. People see one side of me, um, but I never really let anybody in because Mm. there's a lot of pain going on, a lot of contempt going on, a lot of plates spinning. I've got to look a certain way. I've got to speak and portray a certain perfection. I think, I think this, nobody else put this on me, but me. Mm. Um, so I'm numbing out a little more, maybe two glasses of wine while I'm cooking dinner, maybe two after dinner when everybody's gone to do homework or go to bed. So years go, and years go down, you know, maybe 15 years, and I'm hiding, I'm hiding behind something so big by then that um, it's turned into a bottle a night. No one knows this. Maybe a few, maybe a few close to me. Um, And then they're paying for other things then that come out of my mouth. They're paying for other other things that have not been resolved and other pain that I'm covering up. So it just, it, it, it wounds up into a big web. And, um, but the good news is, is that um, in four days, today's the fourth, right? In five days, math wasn't my best subject. <laughs> in five days, I will celebrate four years that God delivered me radically Come on. on the spot Come on. from alcohol. Yes. Come on. Awesome. And awesome. I could let the the walls down. I could be myself. I didn't have to worry about, you know, letting friends in. Um, and that if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Because mm. if they really, really knew how I handled all the spinning plates, boy, would they be let down. Mm. I didn't have to make him. I didn't have to punish him for things that happened to me in another lifetime. Mm. And... It was, it, it just, uh, oh man, it was just, God's had me on a journey, but I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for the people awesome. he's put along the way. Um, and I mean, we, we don't have a perfect marriage, but it's, I can be myself. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, can <be> <laughs> I can, you know, I can be myself and I don't yeah. have to punish him for, for things that he wasn't a part of. And I, I've learned how to communicate in a better way and ask questions or, um, yeah. you know, you know what I'm saying? That's so good. God's, you know, we're on a journey. We're all on a journey and I don't think we ever arrive, but God teaches us through every step of the way Huge. and grateful for it too. So honey, awesome. Want to add? I, I just let Wendy, I think I'll take three, but I you think take what three. she just shared was 
Juan, thank you for sharing that. It's yeah. very, very open and transparent, and it is, like when you said, very, very powerful. And the truth is, just to piggyback off of what you, you shared, uh, Gina, the truth is, and you've heard me say it often, it's not original to me. In fact, it was Kirk Franklin who said uh, that when we self-medicate, uh, we delay God's healing process. Uh, God radically healed her in an instant. But before she allowed God to heal her, she had self-medicated. I don't know how long. You don't even have to tell us. But whenever we take matters into our own hands, instead of really asking God to do the work of healing, what, it, what we settle for is a substitute. It could be wine. It could be any kind of addiction. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to self-soothe. And we talked about it, I think, in week one or week two, is what we're really looking for is not resolution. We're looking for relief. Take this pain away. The problem with the relief, though, is it's temporary. So I've got to go back to that thing for relief again. And then it eventually, if left unchecked, leads to ruin. It, it could lead to ruin if it's not resolved because we opt for relief instead of resolution. Uh, can, can, we, can we just, can I just... Can we just look to the text real quick, Scripture? So check this out, City Church. This is one of the the passages that we use in premarital counseling when we talk about conflict resolution. It's from Ephesians 4, and we let couples go through this. But but notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Now, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who are Christ followers. He's talking to the church. Notice the first thing he says in verse 25. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth in love. Can I stop there for a second? If you guys heard what Gina said, she says one of the reasons that thing was so private is because she didn't know what people would think of her. And most of the time we self-medicate church because we're afraid to show people our struggles because we're afraid of what they will think about us. So the church... The church, we have become pretty little liars. How you doing? I'm good. How's your marriage? I'm good. How things going? I'm good. In fact, when your spouse says, hey, baby, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) You know that high-pitched, I'm fine. (laughs) You know something's up. But we're not willing to say what we really feel or what's really happening because sometimes we don't give each other permission to tell the truth. Because the moment I start to tell the truth, you see it as an attack. You see it as criticism. So we have resorted in our relationships to lying. Instead of speaking the truth, we make it seem as though everything is okay. The currency... The currency of trust is truth. Y'all hear that? Every relationship is a trust-based transaction. But if the trust is not based on truth, you can't have a healthy relationship. 
if your trust of me is based on a lie that I've told you. The whole relationship is a facade. And we can't, the reason we struggle in relationships is, first of all, we have made our relationships truth-free zones. Paul says, therefore, if you're going to get relationships right, put away lying. And in order to put away lying, and I can let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body, He's saying this relationship can only thrive if you're willing to tell the truth. Now, the tough part about it is truth is hard to hear, man. Again, I don't have a 360-degree view of my life. I have to be willing for Wendy to tell me the truth, even though it hurts. Now, let me tell you about the truth. The truth is intended sometimes. The truth may hurt, but not everything that hurts is harmful. We confuse the truth as being something harmful when it's something that just might hurt, but it's helpful. That's why, Damon, we have resorted to lying. Because we don't want to hear the truth that may hurt even though it's going to help. And we put everything in one box. Oh, the thing, it's harmful, so don't tell me that. It's not harmful. It may hurt. Temporarily. But it helps. When that doctor makes that incision to get into your body to to do the work of healing, it hurts temporarily. But he's doing that in order to heal something else that's broken. Now, most of us, and thankfully now, there's minimally invasive surgery. You know what we're trying to say here? Is go in with the truth, but make sure it's minimally invasive. Very good. That's good. That's good. You don't got to cut them wide open no more. You don't have to gut them with the truth. In fact, minimally invasive truth says speak the truth in love. Don't speak the truth with venom and contempt and anger. Speak the truth in love. And that was the beauty of the Garden of Eden. When the scripture says that they were both naked and unashamed. You think I was just talking about physical nakedness? No. No. Talking about also about an emotional vulnerability. That I could be totally uncovered emotionally with Wendy and be unashamed. but we have resorted to lying. Problem is we lie to our spouses. I I, I love, I love, I love, don't y'all have a code word? Y'all have a code word. You don't even know I know that. How do I know y'all have a code word? They told us. I I love this and we're going to start using it. Can I tell you, their code word is eggshells. Whenever Malak thinks something's up with Harry and Harry thinks something's up with Malak, all they say is eggshells. You know what that means? That means time out. Let's sit down and talk. 
You know what that means? That means like, hey, man, right now I feel like I'm walking on eggshells with you. What's going on? Harry says, uh, hey, Malak, right now I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. What's up? Every couple, every relationship, whether you're married or not, you need to have a code word. That means time out. Let's sit down and talk because something ain't right. Defensiveness. Let's talk about that real quick. Because defensiveness uh, is seeing self as victim or warding off a perceived attack. We've kind of talked about that a little bit, right? And one of the reasons we don't give permission to people to tell us stuff is because when someone is trying to tell me the truth, immediately I see it as an attack. When all the person is trying to do is not do something harmful, they're trying to do something helpful that may be hurtful in the moment. Yes, yes. Uh, so I'll, we'll go here, and then we'll go to, to, to um, Craig. And just to, to, again, to give you tools, if, if you're, like yesterday, we're getting ready, and I'm feeling some kind of way just because I'm in my own head, and Ray says, you're okay? Instead of me giving him that, fine, I just say, I'm just working through something. It's not you. I let him off the hook so he doesn't think, is she mad at me? I'm trying to do something good. What's going on? And I don't say I'm fine. I say I'm just working through something. It's not you. And then he'll say, well, what is it? Because he's curious. And I say, well, we can't talk about it. I'm going to tell you, but we, I, I'm not ready to talk about it. And so I'm telling him I'm feeling all fluffy, whatever, whatever. And this is when I walked away and he said, you are beautiful inside and out no matter how you feel. and so and I was in the closet and I didn't give a response back because I let that thing soak in because I got it from the one person whose vote really counts and I felt like that was the voice of God in that moment so I don't lie anymore and say I'm fine I tell the truth I'm working through something it's not you if it is him I will own it I felt this kind of way when this happened and then he'll say all right we're going to talk about it so again if you if it's a time to tell the truth tell the truth I'm working through something if you have are in a relationship based off of a lie or a wall put up this is how you can approach the conversation can we revisit something that's how if if you're harboring some resentment from five years ago you can say, can we revisit this incident? I thought it was going to go away. I thought I was over it. I'm not over it. We had a good chuckle because one Christmas, I think I've told you all this story. I told Ray, <laughs> don't get me anything for Christmas. We don't, we're grown. We don't need anything for Christmas. And he was like, baby, are you sure? I was like, we don't even, let's just bless these kids. We always get something. Nothing is, you know, we can do what we want to do now. It's not a surprise anymore. Don't get me anything for Christmas. Well, Christmas morning came <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I wasn't playing a game with him. I really thought that I would be okay. And on Christmas for 40 something years, I always had a little something and it was nothing. So I felt like, Oh, and so I just told him, I said, I don't like that. Just give me a card with a gift card or something. And then he said, but you told me. And I said, I actually thought I was over it, but I'm not. And so we laugh about it, but that was a situation. I really thought I could handle nothing for Christmas. 
And in the moment, I couldn't. So we don't go, we will put boundaries up. Okay, this is our budget or I've grown out of that. But at the time, I really thought, oh, I've got this. And my little feelings were so hurt. Then he was like, I'm sorry. So he ran up to Walgreens. And I didn't tell him to do it. He did. That's just who he is. He ran up to Walgreens and he got me like some makeup sponges. This, my eyelashes aren't even long enough, but it was a, like an eyelash curler. He got me some candy and he put a little me. something together because I told him in that moment, oh no, I don't like this. And so there is a way that you can tell truth. Now, if Christmas is coming, he said, hey, let's not get anything for Christmas. I will revisit that. I'll say, hey. I don't need anything big, but, you know, I I had a little fit the last time. I don't want to have a fit this time. So just have the kids just get me some. I love those, uh, the hot tamales. Just have them put me a box of hot tamales (laughs) or something together. And so I think I'm over it, but we don't have to go down that. So if you have a situation where you've been festering for years, you can say, and we've had this situation. We've gotten counseling about it. There are some things that I thought I was over that emotionally, I don't know why I wasn't over, but I was like, I am stuck right here. And so that's me owning it. It's not saying, well, five years ago you did this and you didn't even apologize. And it's all about my filter. Hey, can, I, can I jump in right there real quick? <clears throat> Whoever said time heals had no idea what they were talking about. Time doesn't heal. What we do with time determines whether we heal or not. Because I can allow time to allow me to grow more bitter. I can allow time to cause that thing to fester. Just because you give it more time does not mean it will go away. Five years from now, it just takes one trigger, one word, one song. One hint of his cologne (laughs) as you're walking through Stonebriar Mall. How many, hey man, how many of y'all remember old school, man? I'm going back to the 1980s. How many of y'all used to rock that Fahrenheit? (laughs) Cool water. Cool water was the one. I see my cool water fans. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all, yeah, he turned it. All it takes is just one sniff and all of a trigger. He said, I thought I was over him. I thought I was over her. He had a lot of time, but didn't do a whole lot with it. Didn't really heal. The hurt is still there. So, man, this is tough because I see the time here and and there's a movie that's going to be happening at 1230. We got to tear this down. But, uh, Craig, uh, defensiveness, man. Let's jump in there. And uh, uh, before you do that, man, I need... Look, I want to give this a little bit more time, but fellas, I need all hands on deck to get this thing told down, man, okay? We're going to give it a little bit more time so we can get all this stuff told down so the movie can start at 1230, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but I really want us to, to, to give this a little bit more time. Cedric, how much time can you give us? Max, in terms of, because we're working with the people, how much, how much time do we need? 10, 15. So 10 or 15 minutes. So hard stop at, it's 11.27. We can do a hard stop, let's say 11.40. That's 13 minutes. I paid attention in math class. That's what's up. 13 minutes. Let's go. Yes, sir. Good. Um, this one jumped out at me. 
uh, when when Ray sent me the notes and he was talking about the fact that you know we've really kind of had Jonah chapter four as a theme, and I got to this and I thought of defensive defensiveness and seeing yourself as a victim. That one just jumped out at me, mm. and here's why: the word to me was self pity. Good, um, good. When Jonah, I mean, didn't want to go to Nineveh, Nineveh, you know, blame that, blame God. Well, just I, I wish it was better for me just to die. Shade tree, thanks. Oh, you gave me a warrant. I mean, it's just like it's just self pity, self pity, self pity, and that's what causes us to see the. Uh, as ourselves as a victim. You're not a victim. Yeah. You know, as, as we're sitting, talking, I'm listening to these previous conversations, and this thought hit me, and I know it's the Lord's Spirit. We erect these walls mm-hmm. as we, we do. go through our experiences. And I think back of how did I erect this wall of self pity? Mm. Well, I'll tell you my story, just a high point, is that uh, when Gina and I met, I just figured we would live happily ever after, okay? Mm. We'd both gone through the pain. We both had come together. We'd go <laughs> kind of resolve some things. We'll just go on down the road. And I started to resent the fact that I had to deal with some other children that weren't mine that I saw this issue or that issue or that issue. So I slowly started building up a little wall of self-pity. And I did that in my previous marriage, too, because I thought, well, I was a good boy. I, you know, was teaching a Sunday school class. My ex-wife said I was a good dad. I thought I was doing all these good things. And then when God, you know, uh, or when, uh, when I experienced something that I had to blame somebody, I decided, well, I'll just blame God. Yeah. You know, I'm the victim. Right. What did I do to make you so mad? You know, here, here we go, Jonah, right? So I played the self-pity card really, really well. And just like Ray said, I did not have a 360-degree panoramic view of myself. I had no clue. Gina and I were married seven years, from 1996 to 2003, and I said, when did our marriage turn around? And she she didn't even hesitate. She goes, it was 2003. Wow. And I remember the two things. When I became aware of being self-filled with self-pity, But today was about the remedy. Remember, you said you'd be it is. So here's the remedy that, that I experienced to help me get over the self-pity. First, I was made aware. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I realized there was two things that I had become that I didn't like. One was very selfish, and number two was very judgmental. Mm. And those were just walls to protect me. Like her wine was a wall to protect her. And... When I realized that selfishness was just guarding me from being hurt again, I didn't want to be the victim, I had to become very selfish. It was just really a wall. So then I started doing some things that I could deliberately change that. A friend of mine said, I'll give you what's called the 30-day experiment. I go, what's that? He said, you go out and you do one unselfish deed for somebody else mm. expecting zero in return, wow. no motive, no other than just to do a good deed and record their response. Mm. When I finally did it, I started, instead of looking at me, mm. I started looking out and I thought, what could I do for her? Yeah. Is there anything I could do for him? Mm. 
I remember seeing Dexter at, at Kroger after we spoke here in July, and I could have just, you know, I, the old Craig could have probably just not even said hello to you. But I said, that's Dexter. I remember because you introduced us at the, the uh, so I went up and we connected. Now, there was nothing other than there just to say hello, but I started looking for reasons outside of my own skin. I started looking out. Good. And that was one of the remedies that helped me. And, and then the last thing I want to be is judgmental. Mm. None of us. You know, uh, I, I came from a great family, but you could have said that the religion denomination was a little bit pharisaical, if you know what I mean, and a little judgmental. So I had to be aware of what had been passed down. I was thinking of some of the things that the ladies were sharing, maybe how you dealt with things. Well, that may have seen how you were, it was modeled to you. So you just kind of keep it going. And I had to be aware, wait, I don't want to, uh-uh. So those were the two things that helped me get over. Huge. My stuff. All right, real quick, I'm going to jump in and give you a remedy. Quick remedy for defensiveness. Y'all ready? Mm-hmm. Y'all probably heard it before, but it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. If you think that something that somebody says is an attack on you, first thing you got to do is rewrite your inner script. Very good. Very good. The problem with people who are defensive, who see every word as an attack, they already told themselves stories in their head about you and everybody else around them. These people don't like me. These people hate me. They think I'm not good enough. They think I'm not smart enough. And their inner script is playing in their head nonstop. And nothing about my defensiveness changes until I change my inner script. It's also called a filter. No matter what somebody says, it's coming through that filter and you're translating it into something it was never intended to be. And And so people live with their dukes up. And also, uh, that has been a big issue for me, just my inner script. But also remember, Satan is a deceiver. Yes, he is. He will disguise his voice like it's your voice and you think you're having the the thoughts. And he could be whispering you, see, Gina? See, they're not even going to like you. Right. Girl, those church people, don't even tell them anything. If you tell them, and then it's just going to be a big mess, and then you're going to em- em- embarrass uh, Craig, and then what are your kids going to say? That could be Satan whispering those things. So a remedy for that is when the thought comes, you just say, I don't receive it. That's what worked for me. I don't receive that. Ray and I have been through some things in our marriage, and it could be something, and it will pop up some thought and we have been over that hump for years upon years. And the thought will pop up. I don't play with that thing. I say it out loud wherever I am. I don't receive that. I've been in the car sometimes. The kids will be like, huh, what do you say? <laughs> no, it's not even you. I take authority over that because it'll be a spiral. Oh, yeah, because of what about this or what about that? And the, the, your emotions and life and Satan will accommodate any road you want to go down. And so to stop that is I don't receive it. Even if it's true, you can say, I don't receive that. When I was 14 years old, I was at a youth conference and I was with my friend Coretta. And this guy told me, he said, see you, 
you're ugly to me. I wouldn't date anybody like you, but now her, I like some like her. And I, before I even knew this, I was like, I don't even receive that. And I looked in the <laughs> glass reflection. I was like, I ain't ugly. I never heard I was ugly before. <laughs> oh, monkey boy. And so I just... <laughs> And so you can, whatever you need to do to build yourself up, that Come was on. something for I was not going to let that sink down. I had never heard that. Now, he had a preference, and that was fine. But to take it all the way to ugly, you could just stop it at the door and just say, I don't receive that, and undo it. I had to undo it unknowingly. I've never even heard that before. And who is he? We're just at the church conference. He don't even live in my hometown. Nobody even. And I mean, I just went through all these things at 14 years old. But you know, at 14 and 45 and 85, one word from somebody on the outside Come on. can just crush your very spirit. And that doesn't mean that you're not strong, but you get to undo that. We were listening to Rick Warren um, some weeks back. And he was saying how you can choose your thoughts. You can choose what people do to you. So it's some women at his church, and they are setting up. And one lady with her little smart self going to say, Oh, Sally, remember when your husband did such and such? Sally was like, I distinctly remember, remember forgetting that. She shut it down. Right, right. And she made a choice. I'm not even going to remember that. And guess what, little sister? You don't get to bring that up to me. And so I know that's like a little, you know, ebonically presented. But (laughs) I'm just saying is that we have a choice. Whether it's true, Sally's husband did do something, and then Becky going to try to bring it up. And she's like, nope. Or whether it's something self-perceived. Remember, is this a thought I'm having or is this an outside attack? Either way, even if it's an emotional thought, we have the power to choose what is pure, what is lovely, what is holy. If you don't find you are ugly in this Bible, then you don't need to believe it. If you don't find you are a loser that has no hope, you don't need to receive that if nobody said it. If somebody said, you got short hair and you fluffy around your edges and the people in the shops at Legacy are not going to want to say hello to you when you go in their store. If you don't read it in the Bible, then you don't have to believe it. Think on the things. You are precious. You are the apple of my eye. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my chosen people. My peace is upon you. I've got a great hope and a plan and a future for you. Those are the things that we have to consciously make an effort and a choice to choose. Good. Good. Very good. Very good. Very good. All right. It's 1138. Gina, any final words? I just want to tag off of what Wendy said. I think as women, sometimes we let that conversation go on too long because I've caught myself. And then I stop and say, what are you thinking? Mm. No, no, I'm not having this conversation with you. Thank you so much. The door shut to that. But it is a conscious decision because so many times we let that conversation go even 10 seconds too long. And mine used to go on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And it's choosing to shut it down, just like what Wendy said. So good. So good. We ran out of time again. We didn't even get to Stonewall and there was some other stuff we needed to, to, to deep dive on. Uh, but, man, it's 1140. Um, a quick? Well, Stonewall is just when you shut down, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, body language, in tone, and um, uh, you become this, you become the wall. And, uh, man, uh, if that's your response to conflict, man, bad, 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 bad bad situation. 
Uh, we'll probably talk about this some more next week. Um, what I think I'm going to do in the weeks to come as we count down toward Easter, just really feel that God is, is still speaking to us about relationships. But as we count down to Easter, I'm going to really just really focus in on Jesus and how he did relationships. Good. Really about the 12 men that followed him, how he responded to opposition with the Pharisees, mm. uh, how he responded to people who were nailing him to the cross. We're going to talk about that a little bit as we march toward Easter. And uh, we're going to continue along these lines. So, Father, this morning we ask that you would help us rewrite our inner script. Father, what happened was painful.